everybody. Come on. We made it. We made it to the Palladium. Excited to see your faces. My name is Ben Chapman. I have the opportunity to be one of the pastors here on staff and uh, excited to celebrate Easter with you this Sunday. And as we dive into the word here in just a few moments, we'll end today with communion. And I just am really excited about that moment together as we come to the table. And as we talk about just meals with Jesus, there's a meal in Luke chapter 24. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 24. Verse 13, and hold your place right there. We're going to be there in just a moment. Excited to share God's word with you and what God has for you, for us, honestly. Um, because I don't believe that when I preach up here, it's just for me. It's for us because I, I am in a, a this. I'm a part of this community, a part of what God is doing. And so I want, to, I want to set this up with the whole idea of this narrative that Luke is talking about right here. He's talking about two characters and these characters are going to be pivotal for us on Resurrection Sunday to follow. And, and some of us are familiar with this passage, but if you're not, I hope that it's a, a little enlightening to you. I pray that it's uh, hopeful for you. Um, I, I oftentimes forget to do my laundry. Any, any other guys forget to do your laundry in here? I forget to do my laundry, and especially I forget to do my dry cleaning, which, which is actually worse than forgetting to do your laundry because the dry cleaners have set hours. How many of you know that's true? They have set hours. And suits take longer to dry clean than just like a shirt to press or something like that. Has anybody realized that? Has anybody played play victim to procrastination? Uh, yeah, yeah, I have definitely done that. And so there's oftentimes I, I love to wait to the last minute to do things. You can ask my wife. It's a problem. We're in counseling, so it's going to work out for us. But but I, I, I do, I like to wait till the last moment, and I, I, maybe it's just the risk of it. Maybe it's the rush if I just drop it off at the last minute and just see if I can get my suit back for the wedding that I'm about to officiate the, the night after I'm supposed to get my suit back. And so I've done this multiple times, but I want to tell you there was this one time it didn't work out so well. It didn't quite work out how I would have liked for it to work out. I, I dropped off the suit thinking it was going to be ready. I show up, and when I show up, the doors are closed, and there's no way to get my suit, which is a problem because right now I'm a 44 regular, which is not good. And, uh, you know, that's a little snug. And so I'm a 44 regular, and, and so I have to customize these suits. Otherwise, I'm going to have sleeves past my fingers, and that's not good either. And so I remember playing victim to this, and, and when I do, man, it just feels hopeless. It feels hopeless when that happens. You had all this hope. You expected one thing, something to go one way, and it went the other. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning is the whole idea is you expect life to go one way, but it ends up totally different than you thought it would go. And I find this true in our lives oftentimes, and we see this over and over again where we have this hope in something or someone in a situation but then it has a different result, and it's deferred. Hope gets deferred. Proverbs 13, 12 would say this, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but its desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Oh, man, I wanted the tree of life suit, but I got nothing. And this is true of all of us, and this is true of the narrative that we're going to follow this morning in Luke chapter 24, which I believe that God will speak something to you and move your heart this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along in verse 13. 
That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. This was, the, this was Easter Sunday. It was today, almost 2,000 years ago. Verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, this is debated among scholars. Why could they not see him? Uh, the, the mystics in the room, those who, who, who love the supernatural moments, they think, well, maybe Jesus, his glorified body looks different than his earthly body. Maybe it was unrecognizable. But the truth is there also could be another uh, play here where the enemy was actually blinding their eyes. He was actually, the enemy was the one disguising Jesus. And I found this to be true in life that oftentimes the enemy, the devil will come and he will disguise you from seeing Jesus. He'll disguise your eyes. He'll disguise it. And, And all your life looks like despair. It looks like doom and gloom. And it feels hopeless. If you feel hopeless, I want to tell you, maybe your eyes have been shut, but I believe that there is a God who can open blind eyes this morning. I believe that Jesus can start showing you who he is, and he'll do it because he loves you, because he loves you. He's so gracious to do that and show up. In verse 17, let's pick up the story. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? Pause right there. You want to think that Jesus was some figure that wasn't well known. I want to tell you there was over a million people who knew what Jesus was doing. It was spread throughout all of Jerusalem. Were you the only one who didn't know what just happened in Jerusalem? You see, there's there's something very bad happened. And he said to him, what things in verse 19? They said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Verse 20, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped. Everybody say, but we had hoped. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things had happened. Moreover, some women from our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, as Austin just read, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, But him they did not see. You had this moment where two disciples, two people who followed Jesus, had hoped in Jesus. And now Jesus, who they had hoped in, had been crucified, dead, and buried. And now they're walking to Emmaus, it says, sad, hopeless, wondering what was going to happen. This reminds me of our life because we have all hoped once, haven't we? 
We've all hoped once in this room. We've hoped in different things and different outcomes. We can empathize with their disappointment. And that's the point of the narrative. As Luke is writing this gospel account, he's doing it to draw us into the narrative because Jesus wants to do something through this narrative in our lives today. This is what is happening. And we can empathize because we've gone to the dry cleaners and didn't get the soup. We've gone to the retail shop right before Christmas, and we were shut out before buying our Christmas Christmas presents for our kids. Some of us have lost loved ones in this room. We've lost jobs that we pursued. We lost friendships, and we've lost possessions. We've lost a lot of things. We can empathize because we know how we've hoped, but then it's disappointed. This is the empathy and the level of depth that we should be embracing in this moment with these two as they're on the road to Emmaus. As they're on this road. There's this moment where they're concerned. They're concerned about many things other than Jesus now. Because when hope disappoints, it moves you to maybe be concerned about something else. Someone else. It moves your direction oftentimes when hope disappoints because it makes your heart sick. And when your heart's sick, all you want to do is numb or medicate a sick heart. Have you found that to be true in your life? I find it to be true in mine. We see this in the moment Jesus knew this many times that. As our affections are moved to some other direction, someone else, we start getting concerned of other things. You see, what Emmaus represented for these disciples was a destination other than the hopeless situation they were in. It represented something else where, where they would go to Emmaus and start concerning themselves with altogether other things This reminds me of the story of Jesus when he's talking to Martha. He says, Martha, Martha, in Luke chapter 10, you remember, um, Martha, Martha, he says, you're concerned about so many things. You're concerned about cleaning this and cleaning that, and your affections are put in different places. But I want to tell you, your sister Mary has prioritized the most important thing, and that's to be with me. In this moment, it was to be with Jesus. It was to be at the table with him. And don't leave until your time is up. Be at the table with him. Sit long enough so that hope can be rekindled inside of you. Right, church? This is our cry. This is our hope. This is our desire. In verse 25, let's pick up the narrative. And he said to them, oh, foolish ones, a little rebuke right here from Jesus. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This is what James Edwards would call this paradoxical moment where we see the living disciples talking about a dead Jesus, yet a living Jesus speaks with lifeless disciples. 
and this is what Jesus does often in our lives. He speaks to our lifeless, hopeless situation. And the reason he is speaking is because he is generating inside of us a level of faith that you and I need in this life to live. It's why the ancient scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, the, the, those books, it, it starts talking about the prophecies of the Messiah, the one who would come. We read the great prophecies that Jesus is talking about with the two as they go along. Could you only imagine walking with this man who was talking about these prophetic utterances that were spoken thousands of years ago about himself but he wasn't just speaking as though one day they would come but he was speaking as though they had been fulfilled this is what Jesus loves to do this is how he shows up it is Genesis 49 10 the Messiah would be from the tribe of Judah which he was he was, he was speaking about 2 Samuel 7 12 through 16 where the Messiah would be a descendant of King David, which Jesus was. That the Messiah was to be born at Bethlehem, Micah 5, 2 says. And where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. Messiah would arrive before the destruction of the second temple. And this was fulfilled according to Daniel 9, 24. It was prophesied. And when Jesus came and when he died, the temple was still intact. Messiah would present himself by riding on a donkey. Zechariah 9.9 says, and I'm sure he's with these two. Don't you remember when it says that Jesus would ride a donkey into the temple? Where were you a week ago? You were there with palm branches saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. For he has come. The Messiah is fulfilled. And there he is riding on a donkey. Psalm 22, 1 through 31, Jesus would say that the Messiah would be tortured to death and he would remind them of this great psalm. And let us not forget Isaiah 52 through 53, as the prophet Isaiah speaks about the Messiah, that he would, he would suffer, that there would be silence at his arrest and trial, that there would be death and burial in a rich man's tomb, which he was. But there would also be a resurrection. Everybody say resurrection. Resurrection. Do you understand, you fools? Do you understand what is happening here? Do you understand, you who are sad, I empathize with your sadness. I empathize with your grief. He's not rebuking grief right here. He's not rebuking loss of something. Do you realize that God understands your loss of something, of someone? He understands it more than any. It's why he sends the Holy Spirit to be the great comforter in your pain and in your loss. What he is rebuking here is their lack of belief in him. This is what Jesus will always touch in the church. He will rebuke when there's unbelief, when there's lack of faith. Because without faith, the people will not go where they're supposed to go. They'll not be who they're called to be. Because the only way to the Father is through the Son. The only way through the Son is to believe in him. This is what Jesus is crying out and declaring and professing. Verse 28 says, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, 
for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with him. I'm telling you, as Jesus starts moving in your hopelessness, in your despair, in your situation, what does it do? It makes you want to hold on to him. Whoa, 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 I feel something when you're around. I feel different. I feel hope. I feel like life could be different. Life could be changed. I feel like there's something about you. Please don't go. And you got to realize this is a hospitable society. It would be a hospitable gesture for you to invite them in. But the word here, they, they, they pleaded with him or they urged him. I believe the word is urged. There's this strong longing and convincing and swaying him to stay because that's how desperate they were. That's how desperate they were. So they grasped hope. And in verse 30, it says this. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. He said to each other, did not our hearts burn with us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Cleopas, was your heart burning? Was your heart burning luminous? Was it burning as Jesus was declaring and revealing who he is and who he said he is and what he said he will do? And they rose that same hour, that same hour, and returned to Jerusalem. Whoa, I hold up. Now, weren't they going to Emmaus? They were going to Emmaus. But they didn't even stay in Emmaus. Because you see, when hope is restored, it turns you back. It returns you to your great love and where you're supposed to be. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road. Now he was known to them in the breaking of the bread, when Jesus comes in our hopeless situation, it will return us not to Emmaus, but the road will be the road to amazement. The road will be the road to amazing where we know we will be fulfilled in God fully and we will be fully known. There will be a returning, a turning around. That word turn, many of us know it in here. You were going one direction in life. You're going your own way. You were doing what you thought was best, trying to make a way, and it left us void and hopeless. But Jesus started moving and showing up, and it's called repentance. And we said, Lord, I'm sorry for going my way. I'm sorry for going to Emmaus. I'm sorry for the despair. I'm sorry for the hopelessness. I am returning back to you. That is the great news of Jesus and what he has allowed by his resurrection is a hopeful return back to him. A hopeful return back to him. In all of life, as we go through life, we see many, many situations. And, and, and how many of you got married in here? You married, you've been married, did a wedding. Woo, okay, I see you, Pastor Austin. Praise God. That was a lot of prayer. And so, so like we, we all been married, and there's this moment of rehearsal where you're rehearsing for the wedding, trying to make it perfect, doing all that, and then and you're planning, and all, you know, wedding shows and books and scrapbooks. Some of you dressed up, little girls in dresses, just believing for your Prince Charming. Some of you Prince Charmings were not thinking about that at all. But then the event happened. The event happened, and it goes by so quick. You ask, how was your wedding? I don't even know. 
I forgot to eat. You know, like you just forget to eat. It goes by so quickly. There's so many faces, so many highs, long rel- relatives that you haven't seen in so long. And there's, there's hugs and there's embraces and there's partying and dancing. And it's just amazing. And then it's over. But then there's this moment of remembering. Remembering. And the reason why we come and take communion, because Jesus has asked us to remember. You see, there was this whole life of rehearsing and proclaiming and believing that the Messiah was come. And then the Messiah lived and the event happened and it went by so quick. You remember the disciples, Jesus, don't go. You don't have to go. Please stay here. Come on. The event can't be over. But the event's over and the new covenant has came. And now it's time for us to move into a place of remembrance. To remember all that he has done. All that he has fulfilled. All the hope that he will restore into a hopeless heart. So my question for you this morning. My question for you is for some of us, Easter Sunday is Remembrance Sunday. It's to celebrate and remember that Jesus is no longer dead, but he's alive. And he's alive in me. And he's alive in you. But some of you came to this place. You don't know that hope. You've been disappointed, disenfranchised. You have despair. And you feel this void and this, this, this hole. And you feel like you're disconnected from the Father. If you died today, you wouldn't know if you would spend eternity with him. You don't know if that's where you would go. You, you're left wondering. And this is your invitation this morning. It's to join those who have placed their faith in Jesus. To quit going your own way. To turn from it and accept what he has done. And to come to the table and let him speak to your hearts. And resurrect it to give you life. I love the song we sang earlier because it's not from grave to garden. But it's from graves to gardens. It's not for just one person, but it's for a people. And that includes you. You in here who have not professed, he wants to resurrect your heart. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes with me, everybody in the room, if you feel comfortable. Our last moment would be to invite Jesus into our heart. Invite Jesus into the table of your hearts. Believe he is who he says he is. Believe that God will come and he will resurrect you on this resurrection Sunday. Jesus would say this, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. So the first thing that we do is we do what they did on the road to Emmaus. We admit that we are in despair and hopeless and we are sinners and we are going our own way. But God would say, I want you to come my way. So you would confess your sin to him and repent and then you would turn. And then you would believe in your heart that he is who he says he is. He fulfilled what he said he would fulfill and that he did what he promised he would do. You believe that he is the son of God. 
There is no other way to the Father except through him. You believe it. And now you confess it. Jesus, you are Lord of my life. Have all of me. Resurrect this dead heart. Make me come to life. I am yours. And you are mine. In Jesus' name.